0: G'day welcome back. Darren Mitchell here and welcome to another episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Just wanted to drop in and say thank you for plugging in, but also give you a little bit of a preview on what you're about to listen to over the next hour or so. And today I had the absolute privilege of speaking with Dr. Philip Squire, who is the co-founder and CEO of Consalia, an organization, essentially a sales business school and focused on sales education and transformation. And we talk about all things sales and certainly the difference between sales education and sales training. And Philip's actually on a mission to help make sales the world's most sought after profession, which is, a, which is a phenomenal vision and one that I'm certainly aligned to. So if you are a sales leader looking to extract maximum potential out of your team, but also if you're a salesperson looking at how you can increase your level of influence, please listen in because Dr. Squire talks about a lot of research that he's done over a number of years and uh, talks about through the lens of a customer, what is it that customers are looking for and expecting from their sales teams and their sales people. It is well worth a listen, and I hope you enjoy listening into this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. We're live. We are live. live. We are live. <laughs>
1: all
0: right. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader podcast. Darren Mitchell here and another very special guest, all the way from this time, the UK. And we're only nine hours behind uh Australia. Dr. Philip Squire. Welcome to the podcast, my friend.
1: Uh Darren, it's very kind of you to invite me. Uh are we allowed to talk about cricket? And I know you said that, um, you know, this conversation could go in different directions, but we had the most fantastic cricket series. And I know you've returned uh, the urn, uh, but it was just great fun.
0: It was uh, an absolute c- cracking series. The, and the only <laughs> thing that I was really annoyed at, um, I couldn't get the cricket over here on the streaming services that okay. I normally get most sport because the free-to-air, I think Channel 7 over here had the exclusive rights so you can only watch it okay. on freeware TV. And I love watching sport now with no advertisements. And okay. it was, yes, it, I agree with you. It was a phenomenal series. Okay. Um, it was. Uh, and I think, for the most part, played in the right spirit, albeit a yeah. couple of exceptions. Apart from,
1: apart from the Lord's incident, <laughs> which uh, which I apologize for.
0: <laughs> nah, but, that's, but, I, but I love it when the, um, let's just say, the old enemies come together because it always... Yeah means there's going to be some fireworks. And certainly when you've got somebody like Ben Stokes that yeah. is such an attacking captain and I reckon just a phenomenal person to to watch and to to look at his tactics. He is. It was I a mean, brilliant, brilliant
1: series. What what and this I guess we could connect this to leadership as well, because I know that we're talking about leadership, but yeah. uh, what is absolutely amazing, I think, about the transformation of the uh, English cricket team is you've basically got pretty much the same players as we had, you know, under the previous, um, okay, brilliant leadership of Root. I mean, he, he's he yeah. been an extraordinary cricketer, but you've got the same players, but coming in with a completely different mindset and uh, playing a very entertaining, um, aggressive um, kind of uh, sport. And, and it's hearing some of the old timers who've been around, you know, for many years, sort of almost rejuvenated by this new approach. People like Anderson and Broad, who've been yeah. on our team for many years, about to retire, saying, you know, I'm playing some of the best cricket of my life. Yeah. So I think, I, th- I think this whole um, sort of connection with, you know, to leadership is something which is, you know, I find it quite interesting you know how you can transform performance through changing mindsets and so on.
0: Oh, absolutely. And look, we will get into the topic of today's conversation.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Mindset, but as you were talking about that and, and and thinking I was listening to Stuart Broad was on a recent podcast which was recorded, I think just leading into the Ashes. So I was leading into the first test and he gave yeah. a bit of an insight as a pretty um Experience. let's just say veteran who's coming to the end of his career i think he's 35 or 36 and to your point he was talking about how brendan mccullum has turned the culture around you yeah. know i drew when i was listening to it I'm, I'm drawing parallels to a lot of the stuff we talk about with sales leaders and how they run sales yeah. teams And that is they know what the outcome is they know what the goal is but they then remove themselves from any pressure of having to achieve the goal and they then mm. instead focus on Um, the process or the game plan or in his case he used the words having fun and he said Mm. that the attitude that the English cricket team now has when they're playing test cricket is they're there first and foremost to entertain so he said that if if a player comes out and hits two sixes in a row gets bowled in the third ball instead of them getting a wrap over the knuckles they're actually celebrated when they come back into the club room saying, did you see that size of that six? Did you see that crowd going absolutely Mm. nuts? Well done. And all of a sudden, the pressure now is off the players individually to Mm. have to get the right results and instead enjoy the process and be the best version of themselves Mm. through that process. And I thought there was just a phenomenal attitude. And I'm thinking... If only sometimes Australia would play like that because you see Australian cricketers and certainly when it comes to really difficult test matches, mm. I think they put too much pressure on themselves and and try to get things right rather than just play, not so much play loosely, but let go yeah. a little bit. And what will be, will be. And in most cases, um, the ball goes your way.
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's 100%. It's a sort of fascinating you know it's it's been fascinating to watch um what happens and, you, and you're right it's it's about entertainment but they're all competitive sportsmen they all want to win mm. um but um and to have fun and then yeah i mean there's so many connections we can make i think uh, on you know into the topic of of leadership but yeah no it's it's been wonderful to watch you know i
0: reckon the um the Probably the, one of the biggest rating um, sports events that have happened in recent years, certainly in Australia. Um, oh, great! Was the was the five tests over? Yeah, over the last couple of months. So it was, it was absolutely compelling watching. Uh, the only problem is some of us uh, didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> We are staying out far too long because the it, it finished. The, I mean, most most days, unless it was rained out, it finished at like three o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, um, that's one of the disadvantages, of, of course, living in Australia because <laughs> the time difference is such a big, big difference. So, hey, this is this is. I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Philip, because um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Consalia, which is a sales business school focusing on sales education and transformation. You also have your own podcast, which uh, we may touch on. Um, but it's it's going to be a fascinating conversation because um, there's a lot of salespeople out there that probably, like a lot of cricketers, maybe the English cricketers and the and the Australian cricketers mm. of times gone past, have so much pressure placed upon them to get the right results. So yeah. love to delve into all things um, sales and sales leadership, and particularly things around mindset, because I think that's one of the biggest things today around business performance and performance in general is what's happening between the Um, years. But before we jump into some of those topics, I'd love to know, and you were telling me a little bit just before we press record about the, I guess, the genesis of Consalia, Um, but we'll Mm. lead into that. But before we get to that, I'd love to know a little bit of your background for the listeners' um, information. Where does does Philip come from Um, and what led to Philip starting up uh,
1: and co-founding such
0: a wonderful organization?
1: is it's, i i used to find it really difficult to answer the question where do i come from because i lived my first 19 years in eight different countries and so where i came from were, was where my parents happened to live you know at the time so um uh yeah i was um kind of born in ascension Island, which is a tiny little island in the middle of the atlantic we then moved to malta we then moved to um, the Yemen, uh, we then moved to Bahrain, we then moved to Sierra Leone, we then moved to Trinidad. So, so really, you know, I just spent quite a lot of my uh, formative years actually living in different con- uh, countries. Um, I was educated at boarding school in the UK. So from the age of nine, you know, I was at uh, kind of boarding school. Uh, and would go back to visit my parents in different countries. Um, And I think what that kind of upbringing uh, sort of gives you is a certain sort of independent spirit, um, yet uh, uh, academically working within a very rigid, as it was, public school, boarding school kind of system and the first job that I had when I left school, I didn't go to university. I went uh, straight into the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation and um, hated the the sort of corporate structures of the bank, didn't last that long, and then moved into the insurance industry, which is where I started my first kind of sales role. And I was involved in B2C and B2B sales in that env- environment for about four years and then left to join Mercury which is, uh, an international sales training organization. It was called McCurry Goldman at the time. Yep. Uh, it's now McCurry Institute and, um, worked with them for about four years before then at the age of probably 28 going into business on my own as a sales training, uh, consultant, if you like, or consultancy, uh, working with a couple of colleagues who left Mercury at the same time. And we created this international uh, group um, with partners based in 11 different countries around the world. Um, And the genesis of Consalia, this is not Consalia, Consalia was formed in 2006. And it was born out of the failure that we had to win a large deal. And uh, there was, it was down to the strength of our balance sheet. Um, and so we decided to form a joint venture with a couple of larger consulting firms that were part of this group. And this is when Consali was formed. So we now have an office in Singapore. I was there last week. Mm-hmm as well as the headquarters, which are based here in, in, uh, in London, uh, Southwest nice. London. So that's a little bit, you know, just the a quick potted history of who I am. So I've been in sales all my life, really. Um, and you
0: moving, moving from, from, so were you, were you selling sales training programs and then move from there to set up a company from a So with a few. Yeah. I few mean, people. I started,
1: I mean, I was selling before I joined um, the consulting company. I was, I was selling, I was, you know, a manager of salespeople. I built up a regional office in the insurance industry, which became quite large. Um, we had 70 or 80 people kind of uh, within the team and region that I was running, selling both to businesses as well as to consumers. Um which is where I learned how how not to probably sell. <laughs> it was a very, it was uh it was a pretty tough environment to be honest. Um, but yes, when I joined the consulting firm, I was just sales and I was um focusing on smaller businesses to begin with and then selling to larger corporates. And then I got involved in the delivery of sales training programs as well as account management yeah. and um, I think that role has persisted right through to this day. So I'm probably, you know, the ambassador for Consalia, responsible for certain of its key accounts globally, um, and uh, but also involved in doing consulting assignments occasionally with clients and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know one of the things that, um, just reading a little bit of background on you, you talk a lot about why sales training is is so short term, but sales education is more of a long term viable. Um, yeah
1: yeah really is uh i mean i fell into uh the education area um a a, you know a bit by accident so i was doing a research project for one of our clients and uh uh, they wanted us to go and interview their customers about how their customers wanted my client to sell to them Mm -hmm. and uh this um was I was in my sort of early 40s when I was doing this research and uh, I met a professor at a university who said why don't you turn this research into a doctorate And I I, you know I mentioned earlier I'd never went to university and I'd always wanted to go to university actually but to do a sort of history of art degree or something completely non-business related (laughs) Um, but uh, no I I I found it amazing that I could do a a doctorate um in in my profession without you know I could do it whilst I was working and yeah. uh and I really enjoyed the rigor of reflective practice that you get from doing a doctorate and I was really surprised as well at how my clients also responded because they were with me interested in the topic about how do customers want to be sold to by salespeople? And, uh, and it, it kind of, a few of my clients then said, well, could you set up a master's program for us, for some of our leaders? And, you know, you hear this term, it's too academic, it's too theoretical mentioned, you know, quite often, or we used to hear that. And actually I, it, seeing how some of these people responded to a formal education in a topic that they loved and seeing how well they did in terms of completing, you know, master's level program made me think we've got to move into sales education as a business. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's another point ringing you. Yeah. I'm really sorry. I thought I'd turned it off. Um, anyway um so yeah this is uh this happened you know uh in 2000 and sort of nine, ten, 10 i suppose it was and uh, we had some big corporates like sony wipro uh hp um working with us to put top talent through this master's program and then in the uk about uh five years ago uh, the government uh, set up an apprenticeship program where we were able to create undergraduate degrees bsc degrees and now msc level degrees it, um for salespeople funded from an apprenticeship levy. So we 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 have transformed our business from just being a sales consulting business into a sales education business. Yeah. And what is amazing about this journey is the um, because it's work-based learning, is the innovation and the research that you are seeing from our students now doing, you know, projects about. You know how they can become better leaders or manage the business of selling in different ways. So, yeah, our business is really transformed from what it was set out to be, in, in, in as Consalia in 2006 to where it is now as a business school. It's um, I think we're kind of unique in that respect globally. That there's no other business school that only focuses on sales, which is which is how we're now sort of positioned ourselves. Which is so that? Uh, which is
0: which is phenomenal because when you think about, um, and you go to talk to most people about sales and what you think yeah. about sales, it's a, it's a it's a gross generalisation. But most people don't have great things to say about sales or sales people, and they think, you yeah. know what? I'm I'm not in sales. Never want to be in sales. I don't. I despise sales. They're all extroverted. Talk with a mouthful of marbles underwater. Cannot be trusted, snake oil salesman, and any other adjective or verb you want to, or description you want to, you want to offer. It's fascinating, though, that every single person on the planet actually is in sales. Mm. And the work yeah. that you've done, I'd love to know a little bit more about the research that you conducted as part of your doctorate, because you, know, you mentioned getting customers to give you, I guess, feedback or key information about how they like to be sold to. Yeah, because I will. We'll, we'll delve into things like mindset and stuff like that. But in that, in that research, was there anything for you at that time that was um, unique, or was it something you intuitively kind of knew, but it was just verified by some of your customers
1: that you did some research with? I think that um, I think it's it's a really good question because. Um, you can start off your research project with a, I, a hypothesis of what you think the answer is to a particular nutty problem that you're trying to solve and uh, use your research to say whether you're right or wrong. Yeah? Yeah. That wasn't the approach that I took. Um, I didn't go in with a hypothesis. I went in simply with a question which is abbreviated to how do customers want to be sold to without a hypothesis, but of course, with bias, because, you know, you've been, you've been taught, you've been through multitudes of different types of self-training programs over the years. And of course, the lens through which you look at the data is influenced by your, you know, your, your experience and how you've been trained. And, what I what I realized uh, sort of halfway through the doctorate was how my bias was stopping me from seeing what customers are really saying. And I feel rather ashamed to share that with you because, you know, we're taught to question, we're taught to listen and uh, and all of that. And I thought I was a good listener and I thought I was a good questioner. But actually, um, I, I had... Uh, I I, I did this workshop with a professor from London Business School, where I brought buyers and sellers together. And we looked at the data that I'd I'd accumulated over a two-year period of interviewing many, many, many buyers um, across the world, in fact. And we came up with this uh, flip chart page summarizing what were the key learnings. And um, the key learnings were, we need to be good at questioning, we need to be good at listening we need to be good at this and i thought there's absolutely nothing new here and i <laughs> i almost jacked i almost jacked it in i was so and then i realized that i i uh, you know i had a a lecturer at the university talking about research techniques and uh this lady asked me uh phil what are your values and i remember listening to the question and i spilled off a few like you know that you know we often do is sort of integrity and family orientated and whatever um, and I realized I'd never seriously considered my values and she was making a connection between values and bias and uh, once I started that journey I then realized what my bias was and I re-looked at the data through a completely different lens wow and interestingly that lens took me into the area of values and the values that customers are looking for from salespeople. So not to do with competence or process or methodology, but values. And I borrowed some ideas from, um, an academic called, uh, Howard Gardner. who's he's quite well known around the emotional intelligence kind of field. Um, Linking values to mindsets. So if your values are strong enough and you live them, they become a mindset. And so this then drew me into defining the kind of from the data that I got from the uh, customers. Well, what were they? What was the data telling me about the values and mindsets that they look for from salespeople? And I have to say that completely changed our entire approach to the way we. I've started to develop sales people yeah. and uh, sales leaders as well um, around, um, I mean, it touches upon how do you, you know, well, the premise is simple. If the values are, are right, it, it the right behaviors will follow. So if yeah. I have a value that is based on curiosity, if it's a real lived value, what am I going to do? I'm going to question and I'm going to listen. Yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah so um so these values were if you like the operating system that were well defined on, on and and on top of the values that you have you have like um apps that sit you know the application sits on an operating system um uh, but the premise that, that we had was uh, yeah if we embed the right values then the apps the way people deploy their behaviors, competencies, learning is going to drive the right kind of behavior. And we had control groups going on with different clients where we took people through um, projects where we we taught them what the values were and we got them to express them in the way they sold and compared them with those that didn't. And uh, th- that uh, that proved the ROI of going down this particular route to us and then you know, the kind of the rest is history really since then. So that's that's a little bit the journey that I I took.
0: Well, it's fascinating because as you're talking, you're talking about you're thinking you're a great questioner and a great listener. And I often ask this of, of sales teams and certainly sales leaders, who who here believes they're a great listener? And it's amazing how many people put their hands up. And then the follow-up question of that is, well, how do you know? And sometimes it's just a biased response to say, well, I'm a good listener because mm. I can repeat back, what the customer said. But what you were talking about there is, I guess, a skill set or a competency around questioning and listening, but then going deeper and saying what's the underlying value that will bring out that that behavior more naturally, um, yeah. which is a completely different thing because people can be taught how to have a sales conversation. It's another thing entirely to do it intuitively because of what your value system says is the right thing to do.
1: That's right. And so there there's so many things we could talk about what you've just kind of shared, because you've got, you know, the a, a sort of common criticism that's made of traditional, if you like, sales training is, you know, you come in, you sheep dip a group of people on how to sell in a particular <laughs> methodology in a way. And how much of that do they use? You know, even three months after the training, and we've That's got it. all the stats. We've got all the stats that tell us that really doesn't work. Yet it's surprising how many companies still go down that route. Um. So yeah, you need to go deeper, and 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 so yeah, you're absolutely. I mean, we we felt that if you can get people's mindsets and value systems, belief systems, truly embedded around around the mindsets that that we found to be the ones that customers wanted then you don't need to worry so much about the competence and the techniques and the methods you know let let the individuals figure it out because yeah, yeah. they'll bring their own personality into it it's a much more authentic way of actually engaging and building a competence if you start with the uh, the right values and mindsets. So yeah. that's that's kind of where we got to. But it, it touches upon once a once a value and mindset is embedded, it's sustainable. It's not like a technique. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask us sometimes, can you change people's values and mindsets? And of course, you're not born with a value or a mindset. You you develop them as you, you know, through family through work experience you build them over over years so of course you can change values and mindsets mm. you can't maybe change personality that's a that's a sort of different kind of topic but values and mindsets you can and uh just one last thing because I of course you're touching on a topic that <laughs> I'm so very passionate about um but it's um culturally it works as well because the way in which you may develop relationships in japan is Mm. going to be very different to the way you develop relationships in america or australia or whatever yeah um but the 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 value system still can remain the foundation so so what we found is when we took these kind of ideas around the world is that it was easily adopted by people from different cultures it wasn't just another western approach to doing stuff you can yeah. apply it quite easily across cultures so it became yeah easy for us to translate that to our international clients around the world
0: yeah so this is i mean this is fascinating and I, I, we could probably talk about this for for days because right. I, yeah. i've i've come from business to business environments where the company looks external to themselves to a external provider, whether it be Miller Hyman spin selling, whatever the case might be and they think, well that's the that's the answer to our problems. We need a new selling methodology. And if I'm brutally honest, at no stage in my selling career and certainly my sales leadership career has any training from a professional selling perspective delved into values, beliefs, biases, mindset. They might have touched on mindset and they said, "Oh, well, you need to have a positive mindset and et cetera, et cetera. But it's all geared around the methodology, almost believing that the methodology is the elixir that will deliver the outcome.
1: Yeah. That and was completely I intuitively, wrong. You
0: know, yeah, And I intuitively knew that was incorrect because then I would watch how every 18 months or so, the organization will bring in a new methodology thinking that's going to be the be all and end all that's going to revolutionize the way we sell. And it wasn't, they weren't dealing with the fundamental challenge. And that is getting inside people's heads and understanding mm. what makes them tick and why they do what they do. So I'm so, I mean, this is, this is an awesome conversation. I'm so glad mm. we're talking about this because this is, this, this is the game, I believe the, the
1: values and the mindset. Do you know what uh, to, to support again, what you've just said, it's quite interesting. So we, we quite often host uh well, you know we we host sort of fairly major events and um and one of the questions i remember asking at one of these events and we had a room full of sales leaders you know uh there um is what would you what would you rather would you rather people have you know the right skills and competencies but the wrong mindset or would you rather people have the right mindset but not necessarily the right skills and competencies and you know, you know what the answer is to that. You know, they all say we'd like the right mindset. Yeah. Because you can do amazing things, you know, like we can see with the English cricket team. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We can see amazing things. If you've got people with the right mindset, of course, they need to have the skills and competencies, not to say that that that, uh, isn't important. They need to understand the techniques and so on, but uh, playing cricket. But mindset is really the most important but when you start to um, try to codify what do we mean by that you're quite right normally they they mean tenacity or mm. or or resilience and uh, uh or whatever and those are attributes that are important in sales of course uh, but that's not how we've defined you know the mindsets we haven't defined them in those words we've defined them through the words that customers have defined as being important. Of course, a selling team will want you to become you know tenacious and resilient because you've got targets to reach. That's it. But you ask if you ask a customer what values and mindsets do they expect from salespeople, they will not say resilient or tenacious. <laughs> they will say other things. Yeah. They will. I so, will. so so that's what's been quite interesting. This um sort of customer-led research process um rather than a uh, sales-centric sort of led sales process approach which of those two are going to win at the end of the day for me the answer has always been with a customer you know working backwards yeah rather than you working forwards if you know what i mean
0: well, at the end of the day, when you think about it, the customer is the one that controls the dollars, right? They're, they're the ones that are ultimately going to they're make They're the ones.
1: Decision. They've got the money. So doesn't it make – now, the other thing to, to say is that when you go into the academic world, you get access to academics doing research on sales, not that many. Yeah. You know, to give you – there are two academic journals – that are focused purely on sales. There are 150 academic journals on marketing. So sales as a research topic compared to other disciplines is tiny. Yeah, Uh, and we could talk about the reasons for that. But of the work done by sales academics, what I found when I was doing my research, um, again, reading all these papers, um, is that they've based their hypothesis of sales on interviews that they've done with salespeople about what they felt to be right or wrong. And I found that staggering, that <laughs> they have, are spending years doing research, often on hypotheses created by, you know, I'm a great sales guy and this is what I've <laughs> done to be successful, rather than... Going to the customer and working your way forward. So I I became quite angry about what I found as I was doing my research. I felt it's it's under researched. It's not the right research. It's not the right way to go about it. And um, this kind of made me eventually commit the my career to sales education yeah. because I think there's a huge difference between education. Sales education, sales training. Uh, so this is yeah,
0: hundred percent. Now I'm going to ask you about values from a customer's perspective in a minute. But yeah. there was another question as you are just talking that came up, because um, one of the things that I was always really conscious of is we we put our sales teams through all this dra- great training and go and go and do this and prospect and overcome objections and handle you know all these difficult things. How much of the training of the, sorry, how much of the sales education can be not just applied to sales teams and organizations selling products and services and solutions, but also to the customer side? So how much of the education is to the buyers? Because a lot of customers, a lot of, sorry, a lot of sales organizations will talk about we are very customer centric. We are here to provide service to a customer. We place the customer in the center of everything we do. And yet when you listen to most sales leaders and also sales people speak, they talk from the perspective of their product and their service. They very rarely Mm. talk from the perspective of the customer. So how, how important is it to have customers involved in the education? Now that might sound like a a weird question, but no, it's it's not a weird,
1: no, no, it's not a weird question. So, and of course, any, any student, any leader or, you know, or key account director coming through our master's program will be introduced um, to this notion of research and um, they would have done the Miller Hyman. They would have done, you know, they would have had a history of doing a lot of stuff in terms of sales development And, uh, many of them will go to their customers as a consequence of collecting evidence and data and research and involving their customers in the, um, research project that they've, they've defined, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and it's, it's collaborative and what, the feedback that we're getting from our students who engage with the customers is simply telling your customer that you are doing this leading sales transformation master's program. Would you mind if I just shared a bit my research projects with you is that the customers become totally interested Mm. in what it is they're trying to achieve and do. And then, and, 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 and really, you know, sort of collaborating with them because it's in their interest it's in the the customer's interest if a supplier is engaging with them in a more strategic uh, innovative creative kind of way yeah um so no customers will ever turn down a request of a sales leader being invited to take part in a research project or the outputs of a, of a of a paper they've written mm. and in some cases um they will actually be part of the final project as well. You know, they, they would have contributed data and information into it and mm. cited in in the final, you know, paper. So, yeah, you're merging the gap between sort of selling and buying by by co-creating together kind of new insights into how to get better engagement, you know, across key yeah. accounts or between the sales team and uh you know their, their their buyers so
0: and when you think about it from a certainly from a business to business perspective that would create I would think a much higher level of credibility and authenticity yeah does. in the eyes yeah. of the customer when you've got a seller that is truly interested in their business and trying to find out how do we best how do we how do we best sell to you well, how do we how do we do this in a way that's not just uh, I'm going to flog you a product, but we can do this in a in a business to business sort of a like a trusted partnership type of an arrangement. You know, we always talk about how do we differentiate ourselves against our competitors. That is one of the best ways to do that because you become entrenched.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing that I think is is really interesting because we've we've heard about NPS scores and Net Promoter scores and so on as a measure of service delivery, but Rarely do companies do a survey on how th- the sellers sell to them in a way that they want to. Yeah, you know. Yet, yet without that, you don't have a service to deliver. Mm. Um. So, um, this idea of getting client feedback on how do you want us to sell to you—that simple question is a great question to ask in any kind of qualification process. How do you want us to engage with you? How do you want us to sell to you or whatever way you want to phrase it? Yeah. Is a is a, is a a really good way of doing it, um, is, of starting a conversation. Mm. And how would you rank us in terms of innovation and insight? You know, how are we doing? Every salesperson should want to know the answer to that question, in my view. How do you want us to sell to you? How do you want? It's such a simple question.
0: It is, but it's amazing how many how many salespeople and how many sales leaders are actually afraid to ask.
1: (laughs) They may be frightened, but it doesn't really matter what the answer is. Only good will come of it because uh, you know. Keep on doing what you're doing. Actually, I hate this. I I hate what you're doing. (laughs) This. I mean, it's really good feedback, and uh, you shouldn't be frightened of it. I can only see good things coming from it.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um. So it begs a question. I know there'll be sales leaders listening to this, and maybe some sales people thinking, "Well, so what is it the customers actually value?" So when you, if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of a customer, based on your research, were there, were there a, a like a, a consistent theme that came out in terms of the values? Because I'd like to talk about mindset as a separate thing, but from the values and how they like to be sold to, was there like a common theme that stood out
1: in your research? Um- well, I'd like to, I mean, I deliberately um, kind of combined the word mindsets with values because, okay. um, so I'd like to keep those two words kind of connected. But yeah, there were four values that, uh, you know, you go through five years of research and you come up with four things <laughs> you know, that that you think can make a difference. And, and some of these are kind of no brainers. Um, and we uh, say so we've got four what we call positive mindsets, and we've got four negative mindsets. So, of the people that I interviewed, less than 10% of salespeople demonstrated the values that customers wanted.
0: And less that than was
1: 10%. less than 10% of wow. people demonstrated the positive, uh, differentiating values. So, um going through the positive values they were authenticity yeah being authentic yeah i mean it, it's interesting it's very you know it's a, such a simple word yet behind that word authenticity because we could have chosen integrity or transparency but we chose authenticity because you've got this notion of being original like the, the authentic levi jeans this was the first we need to know it's you the person we're dealing with not yeah. someone who's been through some mechanistic sales training which we can spot a mile away <laughs> yeah so any kind of you know i uh, dare i say it, spin selling approach where you kind of got, got quite manipulative questions if they're give, handled in the wrong way you know sort of leading people through a structure you know buyers have been on spin sales training programs themselves they know the yeah. game you know they know they can spot it a mile away so you, you've you got authenticity as being number one the second one is client centricity which is a again it's a no-brainer and without these two you don't build trust yeah um and uh the the second two after the uh the first two if you like um are the ones that are fun and rarest and that's Proactive creativity. So a lot of salespeople are quite creative, but it's the customer who tends to say, "Look, I got this problem. Can you help solve it?" And the salesperson is able to creatively solve it, you know, with their team. But proactive creativity is where someone comes up with an idea that the customer hasn't necessarily thought of, and that they really value. Yeah. And then the final one is is tactful audacity and you've got tact which is being respectful it's having tact and audacity is having courage and being bold it's the art of knowing how far to go without going too far yeah and you may think this is a rather surprising value or mindset but actually customers love to be channel uh challenged in the right way um and um you, you know they really respect a salesperson who's ticked the first two boxes. They trust you. They know that you're totally client centric. But where the seller is challenging the customer about an idea that the customer has, or yeah. or even if they or challenging the customer into doing something new that the customer hasn't thought of, because the salesperson is 100% convinced, because of all this data, because of their research, that this is the right thing for them. So um, these are the mindsets that we've found, if you like, value systems deeply rooted in the psyche of how salespeople work, that we know from the different control groups that we had will drive exceptional account relationships without a without a question right and um and very few people demonstrate all of these mindsets yeah and um, we can talk about why that is the case but you know it's not possible sometimes with the way so if you're a sales leader and you're looking at account portfolios it's sometimes impossible for sales to live these mindsets with every single account because they've got too many Yeah. So your whole territory management approach, your whole uh, kind of sales approach, account management approach is going to influence the level at which you can live these mindsets because it it takes time to do uh, to live these mindsets with each client all the time, whether there's a sales opportunity or not. You know, it's something that how you manage all of those those kind of levers to get the right approaches is is, is uh, uh, both an art and a science. I yeah. would say,
0: amazing. I um I really like those. And as you are talking through those, um, they definitely resonated. I may not have used the tactful audacity, but when you are talking about the fact that respect and courage to challenge, and and my own experience working with a lot of sales teams and sales leaders and and certainly customers is, um, customers like to be challenged. Because they they want to know that that you know, they're not they're not going to be the the person that that dictates how everything's going to work. They want somebody who can tell them, you know what, I don't believe that is the right way to go, and this is why. and be prepared to have that conversation, which is uh, which is fantastic. Um, he also mentioned four, was it four negative mindsets yeah. and, and values as well that, I guess this is the the red flag we should try to avoid or stay away from.
1: Yeah, so so the first one was manipulation. And so this is any sense of being manipulated into something. And the uh, clients have got, um, you know, they know, they know when there's a pressure on a salesperson to reach uh, a certain target. You know, they know... That the salesperson is being incentivized to push one product above another in the way that the salesperson will ask questions and not listen necessarily to the answers you're giving, but wanting to try and push people through a sales funnel, you know, approach. Um, so manipulation uh, was was one. It uh, the second was supplier centricity, you know, yeah. which um, I guess is connected a bit to manipulation. Um, but this is just where the salesperson is is um is very much focused on their own product and services, but also I think uh with large accounts, large companies you know they sometimes become arrogant, you know they think, well, everyone buys our product because we're the biggest and the best yeah. or whatever, but you know that um so you've got supplier centricity then you've got complacency, yeah, and this is where you've got a long established relationship and you're kind of an assumption that you're getting you're going to get repeat business and uh customers hate it when people are complacent um and then the final one is is we call it overt arrogance you know it's it's where you know salespeople demonstrate in their body language in the words that they use uh sort of arrogance you know? <laughs> um and uh there's a fine line between being tactfully audacious and arrogant you know that and there's a lot of subtlety between of course you're in business to sell your products at the end of the day but you're also there to serve the client yeah so there's a lot of subtlety in in whether you're seen to be moving to the negative to the positive so yeah yeah um but no those were the four negative mindsets that we saw
0: Wow. Um, I'm just thinking about some of the clients I'm working with at the moment and one in particular that comes to mind. One of their challenges is, well, challenges slash opportunities is one of their major competitors are totally complacent in their marketplace, which is creating a fantastic opportunity for them. The only problem that they've got right now is they've got such a small share of wallet. So they've got to try and build a level of credibility that their customers are thinking that they're a legitimate competitor in the marketplace because yeah. it's easier to do business with the other complacent organization because nobody's ever been sacked by doing business with those yeah. organizations. So I can see how it can be a very fine line in, in some cases. Yeah,
1: It can be, but um, I think that, you know, I, I remember, in fact, there's a, a client we were working with in Australia. Uh, they, they were in the software testing field and sell, trying to get into NAB bank Mm-hmm uh, as a as a customer and I think uh, IBM had an uh a uh, managed services contract with them that made it very difficult for this new 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 customer to get in and enemy uh, Bank had uh, done this uh, amazing campaign that became viral which is around the breakup I do, I, I don't know if you saw that breakup campaign uh, so you had this breakup campaign that happened about the time that that we were working with this uh, team to try and get into the bank and and uh, it was amazing to watch them use these mindsets to um to create a breakup campaign uh with uh, to enable them to get into this major account
0: nice
1: uh, uh and it was uh you know they produced videos they produced uh all sorts of things that 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 they did their own you know they interviewed some of the bank's customers in fact as part of uh, this uh, client centric work and they weaved that into their value proposition they won the contract for the software testing so amazing it is it is really difficult you know sometimes you know it's difficult to break in, but the your client is going to work much harder at the innovation, aren't they? Because they've got everything to gain. And and, and so yeah, that's a big opportunity for them. Yeah.
0: It, it is, it is. And there's an opportunity that um they need to be able to grasp because when you've got an incumbent who is complacent, um yeah. they're gonna make mistakes. And they will. yeah, if we can then focus on like the in in this case, the four positive. Uh, mindsets and positive values yeah. and demonstrate that that customer centricity, client centricity, authenticity, proactive creativity. Because I always talk about you've got to try and bring insights to the table. You've got to try and bring yeah. something to the table that they didn't know. It could be about the industry. It could be an insight you brought about, about their business that says to them, hmm, we may not necessarily have a sale today, but we're planting seeds for a sale tomorrow or next week. And I'm not necessarily having to put pressure on myself to get a deal today, but I'm going to make progress. And if I do that in an authentic way, um, eventually it's going to come. Now, easy to say, difficult to do, particularly when you've got a target (laughs) to hit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is difficult. And then it comes down to sort of pipeline and having enough opportunities in the funnel that you, you know, that some will come good and some won't, but, um, when you don't have enough pipeline that it puts more pressure on the sales process. And that's when you can get some of the negative mindset kind of behavior. So again, it's a, it's a systems approach to sales performance improvement that will help drive, you know, systems, meaning the way you target, you know, create leads, you know, creating enough space for salespeople Mm. to live these uh, mindsets is part of, I think, the job of, you know, the coaching of a manager, you know, in yeah. terms of actually sort of enabling the the sales team to, um, you know, to, to yeah, to implement some yeah. of the things we've been talking about.
0: Absolutely. Now, as you're just talking there, another question came to mind, and I'm thinking, okay, this is all, and there might be sales leaders sitting there right now, listening to this and they, well, that's all well and good. We've got sales targets, <laughs> we've got sales targets, here. it? And Darren and Philip, you don't understand my predicament. I've got some very experienced salespeople who are very, very stuck in their ways. So the question that I came up with when, as you were talking there was um, we've based on your research, we know what the negative and the positive values and mindsets are. What are some of based on your experience in the work that you're doing now? What are some of the challenges that sales leaders will face and are facing? Um, because I, I'm, I'm thinking that this is more of an evolutionary process to try and instill these values and these mindsets into mm. a sales team versus a revolutionary. So we're not going to flick a switch and say, right, today I'm going to be authentic and I'm going to be yeah. client-centric, right? Um, yeah. What are some of the challenges that you're finding um, working with some of the big organizations that you are in relation to these, these values and mindsets? Yeah.
1: I mean, there's so there's so many. You know, sometimes when an organisation is so big, it's a bit like trying to change an all tanker's direction. And you know, the systems and processes don't allow salespeople necessarily. You know, the the uh, the environment to be able to do it. But what I've found, and it, I may not have all the answers to this at all, but um, is that is is I always go back to the customer because. Uh, I've experienced exactly, Darren, the same as you, is how do you get, um, you know, very experienced salespeople, perhaps with a fixed mindset, not a growth mindset to actually be open to the idea of change or transition in their approach? Mm. There's nothing stronger than the customers talking about what they like and dislike. And so... Many of the engagements we have with our clients is we start with their customer and work back. So we take the framework of the interviews that that started with the doctorate into their world and get their customers talking about, and we we link it. You know, this is how we do it. It's very difficult to sit in a room with Mm -hmm. a customer who's saying, we hate it when people are arrogant we or, you know or you are being too complacent or i hate it you know it's very difficult for them and this is what i want to say actually that's a little of rubbish because no one no one will argue with the customer they may argue with a consultant about a theory yeah. or a practice but you won't actually argue with a customer so um i would um uh, you know, if there's a cultural challenge, it's, 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 it's difficult to change a culture of a sales team uh, uh, because, cult, yeah, culture takes time. But the starting point for us all the time is go to the customer, the customer in our case, or start there, work your way back, create a sales approach based on, on the customer's customer. Then you'll start to find the clues to unlocking the yeah. uh, mindset change that you need. I'm sure Love we're it. running over time here.
0: Love it. Oh, we've nearly, <laughs> we are nearly got an hour my friend, but that's okay. It feels like five minutes. <laughs> well, and as I said, we can talk for days on this. Know,
1: <laughs> we, we can could, talk Darren. for days. Yeah,
0: so um, interesting. One, one thing I would like to ask you as we kind of bring this to a close is uh, the mindset survey. Um, yes. And, and what, what is the mindset survey? Cause I'm also intrigued how we can get people in contact with you and learning more about. Um well, consular and, and, and particularly the mindset survey. So can you give us a little bit of information about that?
1: We yeah, we have on our website and um, a free survey that um, anyone can undertake where they will be able to profile themselves against the positive and negative mindsets. And there's also a limited opportunity for them to invite their customers to give feedback on them as well okay um and that's completely free and it's on the you know www.contelio.com website forward slash survey i think it is i'm looking at eddie um and uh if organizations wanted uh sort of more detailed data from the my you know split by teams regions or whatever then that would be a a paid for service that we can provide. Um, We've also got a lot of the sort of ideology and the rationale behind the mindsets in the book, selling transformed uh, which was launched a couple of years ago. Um, If people are in any way interested in the topic, they could maybe pick up a copy of the book. It's, you know, it's on Amazon and, and uh, all sorts of different outlets as well. But um, those oh. those those two sources might might be of interest.
0: Well, I think from a from certainly from a sales leaders' point of view, always looking at how do we get more out of our sales team, how can we extract yeah. more potential out of our sales team, and I'm a firm believer that that mindset, just like in elite sports, mind the difference that makes all yeah. the difference is the six inches between our ears. Correct. And as sales leaders, we owe it to. Our company, we owe it to our people, but mostly we owe it to our customers to make sure that we have people in the right mindset that are focused yeah. on the right areas, delivering the right level of value, because that's ultimately what's going to deliver sustainable success. So um, I will I will put in the notes uh, links to your uh, website, and I'll actually look up, make sure I've got the right right one. I'll uh, I'll talk to Eddie if not <laughs> um, <laughs> backslash survey. Um, so that survey will enable us to do a bit of a survey against the positive and negative. Um, yeah, yeah you'll case. get a
1: kind of bullseye. You'd be able to see where you are in correlation to what we call the winner's circle. Um, and it will give you some insights into the profile you've created in terms of areas that you might want to look at, you know, to improve your mindset. Or you know, sort of ideas to to be more proactively creative or tactfully audacious. So, uh, so yeah, it it certainly is not a bad starting point. I would say to to kind of reflect upon you know where's the mindset today and how do you want to develop it moving forward. For me, the customer perspective is the most interesting. Is when you get customers actually answering the same questions as you've done on yourself Uh, and that in itself could be a very interesting point of discussion with a customer about about the difference well i saw myself as being not very creative with you but you see myself as highly creative so uh that 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 could be a conversation as well as the other way around you know, where I thought I was creative, but you think I'm not. So yeah. it doesn't really matter what the result is. You can really use it in an engaging way to have conversations about how you can improve your general approach to the account. So, yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
0: You know what, Philip, I was going to ask you just before you wrap, is there any last pearls of wisdom that you want to leave with, uh, with the sales letters now, if, if there is fantastic, but, what I think you just shared there was, was absolutely gold because if you can get your customers to give you some feedback that it's, it's almost a litmus test as to where actually sitting in relation to our relationships.
1: I think the challenge we have with leaders is that is how do you coach to the mindsets? You know, how would you, um, you know, a, a lot of lead, you know, so the, the challenge is if you take salespeople through this sort of mindset approach and a leader doesn't understand it or believe in it, it's not going to go anywhere at all. So the role that leaders play in sort of creating a culture of um sort of the, having the right mindsets is is critical. And the one, I suppose the one question that a leader could ask is, given the targets that I've got to achieve this year, what, what's the challenge that I'm facing? Do I need to make my current sales team more efficient in what they do, meaning that they're doing the right things, we just need to do it more effectively, efficiently? Or do I need to transform what my salespeople are doing in order to address the challenges that we have in our market today? Unless you answer that question, the the answer to that question will drive very different strategies as a sales leader. So am I trying to create a faster caterpillar or am I trying to create a butterfly? You know what? And sometimes it could be the faster caterpillar, in which Mm. case your challenge may not be so mindset related because you're just trying to be more efficient. Whereas if it's transformation, shifting mindsets, creating a new culture, I think it's uh, a different approach.
0: I think what you just touched on there, Philip, might be um, a bridge to maybe a follow-up podcast. <laughs> I know.
1: Well, because <laughs> we could talk about that. We talk could talk for about hours. that. Yeah, we could. No, well, that's the great thing about sales is it's wonderfully complex when you start to peel away the layers of the onion. Oh. And yeah, it's and, just and and it's phenomenal. It. I absolutely it's, love it. That's why it's such a great profession to be in. Yeah. It is. It <laughs> is. Hey, look, um,
0: we are we are about an hour in. So I'm gonna I think we're Darren. gonna leave it there. I think um thank you, Darren. Hey, it's been a phenomenal conversation. Greatly appreciate you coming on. You've added huge amounts of value and and I've taken a lot of notes here and certainly going to use that in in my coaching and and when I'm talking to sales leaders in particular, particularly around the positive um, values and mindset. So Dr. Philip Squire, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. And I reckon um, we need to have a part two where we can delve into that, that last topic.
1: It will be a great pleasure, um, Darren. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, let me know how you get on, you know, with the mindsets just i'd be so intrigued to know how it works with you and your clients and and so on
0: yeah absolutely well i'm gonna as of tomorrow i'm gonna do the survey myself just to figure out where i'm at (laughs) (laughs) thanks philip it's been an absolute pleasure
1: thanks darren cheerio have a good evening bye-bye enjoy your day